It's Dr. Chelsea, and thank you for listening in today. In this episode, I talk with a registered dietitian and former competitive dancer, Jenny Echatora. Like usual, I bring the mindset perspective into the conversation, and Jenny shared a major mindset shift about nutrition that might serve you if you're a former dancer, or aka an adult who doesn't train as many hours as you used to. We also discussed the challenging food rules you learned as a dancer and how they may not be serving you now and how you can talk to your dancers about nutrition if you're nervous to bring it up because you are not the expert. Because I know it was a conversation that intimidated me as a young teacher. Finally, we end with some practical advice about helping our body recover after a long dance day. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, Chelsea. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And in case people don't know about you yet or your business, Center Stage Nutrition, will you please introduce yourself? Tell us about you and your dance journey. Yeah, for sure. So um, I actually started dancing when I was three. I started off in Scottish dancing. Awesome. Um, (laughs) So definitely um, interesting place to start off. And, uh, you know, in my early teens, I switched over to a new studio and I really fell in love with ballet at that time. I just had a really great connection with one of my teachers. Um, but, you know, at that time, a lot of my, you know, dance friends that I was with, um, there's definitely some struggles around the eating disorder piece. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's where kind of my interest in the nutrition piece also started. Um, so that's where I kind of dived into going to um, school to study nutrition um, in Toronto, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of my first uh, stint in nutrition. Um, you know, I had a couple of different jobs uh, since then. So I worked in a hospital as a dietitian, uh, which very different from what I do now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with renal transplant patients, funny enough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So super different. Um, and then I did my master's in quality and quality improvement and patient safety. So thinking I kind of wanted to try to improve processes in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during COVID, it, it really pushed me to kind of realize what I wanted to do and bridge my passions of dance and nutrition. Um, and I thought it was a really good time to just go for it. I knew I always wanted to have my private practice on the side. Um, so it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm where I, where I started is kind of where I'm back to. I had that interest in dance nutrition and I'm, I'm back to it. So I'm happy to, you know, be providing one-on-one counseling and workshops uh, for dance studios and companies um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's been an interesting journey, but I'm happy to be back to where I originally started in that passion. Absolutely. I think my journey was similar in that I had like this love of the psychology and the love of dance that I didn't think went together necessarily. Like they're two separate passions. And then eventually I was like, oh, I can do both. These can yeah, go together. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so nice to find a way to blend our passions. Yeah. So you said it started kind of seeing some of this in the ballet world. And I, I felt the same way. And I think there's probably a lot of people listening who can relate, whether it was you who suffered with it personally, or you had friends um, or just the culture around it. And it, and it's not just ballet, like I'm sure it's all over the dance world, but um, it's so hard to see at such young ages. And we know it's still part of our culture, even though we we wish it would be 
um, we wish we could eradicate it, of course, but it's still such a big part of us. So um, starting with kind of the basics, what is it about nutrition and nutrition with dancers that has really made it a passion for you? Why did you decide to leave the hospital world and come in to make this your your full-time job? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that obviously, you know, the clientele is extremely different. Um, and I think I can relate to them a lot. You know, I just as you were just referring to um, the diet culture and everything that goes on in dance, I think it's, it's nice to have that connection to um, understand what they're going through. And I, and I think that helps them to create that trust um, and that relationship with another counselor and as, um, you know, counseling with nutrition. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it can create that bond really easily. Um, but, you know, nutrition is so complex on its own. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And when we look at athletes, um, you know, you think like, well, they have to fuel, you know, obviously very, very well or optimally to, to make sure they get the most out of their training and performance. But it's so complex for them as well when it comes to that diet culture and all the pressures that they're unto, under. Um, mm-hmm. So I just found it was it was so fascinating. And I thought it was a really good bridge when I started reaching out to people um, to figure out kind of what's going on in the dance world as of recently. I realized there's such little education um, mm-hmm. provided, especially to aspiring dancers and, you know, retired dancers are kind of left in the dark. Um, so I think I kind of wanted to bridge that gap. Um, and that's yeah. kind of what my passion was. Absolutely. Well, I think you're right that it's nice to have someone to relate to. It's nice to have someone who understands, you know, it's understands what that dance world feels like, understands what it feels like to look at yourself in a mirror all day. And, and that that's such a big part of what we do. And it's hard to, for other people who, even if they're strong athletes, don't understand that aspect of dance, of how much we are in a mirror and kind of looking at ourselves and how, how fitting all the clothes are all the time. And obviously other sports have similar in that sense, but we're always, I think, exposed that it feels different in that sense. So nice to have somebody who gets it. I think I, I wish I kind of knew more too. I think that's why I was kind of so passionate about it because when I look back to when I was a younger dancer, I mean, I was like eating pasta and burgers. I joke about that now. Like that was my diet. I didn't really know what was best. Like I had zero education about that or awareness, right? Absolutely. Well, and I think it's different. Like you were saying about different athletes approach it differently. And you're just told like, you know, eat carbs and like fuel up before you have to go perform. And I, so I remember thinking that and was just told like, you know, eat carbs. And so I would have like long competition days, you know, where you're at conventions all day. And I have this like pasta salad that like sat next to me. I'm like knowing now, and I'm certainly no expert, like, I don't think that was the right choice. <laughs> like sit and have with me all day at, at these long conventions. Um, but there's so little education and so little knowledge. And so I think you have both ways. You have like the restrictive diet side, but then you also have the side of like, I just don't know any better and I'm a kid and I'm just going to eat what I eat. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because when I started into this, I thought, you know, there is that diet culture piece, the restrictive eating, and it's so prevalent. But there was a lot of dancers too that I spoke to that just didn't know, um, that just didn't know how to fuel. And they're in that professional stage, right? In a company dancing all the time and they just didn't know. And it's just that like, they don't even know they're under eating. Like 1200 calories a day was something that they were just doing because they didn't know any better. Yeah, so absolutely. It's an interesting kind of blend of those two. And I, that's where I kind of wanted to reach the two different audiences. Yes, there's that restrictive diet piece, but there's also the people that just want to know more and 
like giving, you know, providing those workshops to those aspiring dancers, I hope can help to bridge that gap a bit more as well. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. It's not just psychology is for me, it's kind of the same way. Like I'm not just helping people who have a mental illness and you're not just helping people who are suffering in kind of the clinical sense, but it's how can we help your average dancer be more successful in what they're trying to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think bringing more awareness to that is really key. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, you know, a major thing you're struggling with. You can just, you can also improve it in a very small yeah. ways. Absolutely. So let's dive into some of those small ways. What are some of those things you've learned about nutrition and dance from when you started dancing to like all the way through now as a business owner? Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, kind of what I was speaking to, I think it, it changes through all stages of your career as a dancer. Like I think, you know, when I was mentioning as an aspiring dancer, you don't really know how to fuel, you know, a lot of dancers that are kind of going to the pre-professional areas you're maybe going outside of your country or province or wherever you are. Um, So that meal preparation and planning thing may be a skill that's really needed at that time to kind of understand and develop. Um, Then I think the, you know, as you go into the professional realm of things, you're comparing yourself constantly with other people. There's so much competition and pressure. That body image thing is just so much more enhanced at that time, I think. I mean, at all stages, but I think especially then. Um, you know, and I think um, there's all these different diets that are out there that some of them experiment with at that stage. Um, but there's that retired dancer piece, um, which definitely I learned a lot when I did, you know, technically retire. Um, you're not dancing as much. You're not dancing that like four plus hours a day. Um, your activity level goes way down. You worry about, you know, how your body will look, how it will change. I remember being terrified and like the only thing I knew was cardio. So I just like went nuts with running and like ended up running (laughs) up all of my feet and like really hurting like because I used to dance like that, right? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, it was all I knew. So I think definitely as a retired dancer, um, you know, branching out into different forms of exercise and not just looking at it from a dancer perspective, but you know, what exercise is, it can be connection socially. Um, it can be joining a bit of a community. Um, it can be a challenge in a different way. It doesn't have to be technical and like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's a very different mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, okay. Selfishly, I want to dive into the retired dancer part a little bit more because I feel that's, it just resonates with me so much of like, we spend so much of our lives training 20 plus hours a week. And then when that stops, the nutrition side was very different. And it wasn't just like your body, you know, going through your twenties and thirties and so on. It's like, that's just going to change anyway. But then you go from extreme training to, you know, either some of us are still teachers and maybe you are still active somewhat. I went the academic route. So I went very sedentary, very fast and spent all my time reading and writing. And it was a hard transition to figure out how to shift nutrition as that like intense diet or intense uh, like dancing part of my life was over. So advice for the retired dancer out there? How do we think about this as we transition? Yeah, you know, I think like you kind of have to, when you mentioned like our bodies are always going to be changing. I mean, I think that's important to acknowledge. For the nutrition side of it, um, you know, I think it's, um, if we're kind of following different rules when we're a dancer, I think kind of challenging those food rules um, when we are a retired dancer, like how is that going to work for us in the long term, right? Like, is it something um, that can be sustainable? I mean, even as a dancer, it most likely 
wasn't, right? But I think we're kind of caught into that cycle. Um, and I think as a retired dancer, we have that ability to maybe kind of reset a bit and think about, you know, what are our eating habits like? Are they good for us in the long term? Do we have any food, rule, food rules that we're following? Um, and I think surrounding yourself with a, a positive community around it as well. Like there's a lot out there on social media, um, you know, like depicting depicting the ideal like body, um, which is everywhere. We know that. Um, what I found really helpful was, you know, joining a bunch of different uh, like, you know, female forward um, exercise uh, companies in Toronto um, that were kind of all about creating that community, especially around um, you know, positive body image thoughts and encouraging other females. I mean, I think that piece is really important to create that support around it too. Yeah. When we're so used to spending all of our time surrounded by lots of people and like, and having that community sense, you're right. That feels good to have that, even if it's just one other person, but it's for many of us dance, therefore all of our exercise has been very social. I don't yeah. want to lose that. A hundred percent. You know, I think I realized that too, when I did a workshop recently um, with young dancers and like when I asked them, like, what does dance mean to you? What's really important about it? Like friendship just came up so often and that community, even the word community as well. Um, and I think, yeah, when we leave the, the re- like we leave our dance community as a retired dancer, we're, we're leaving that behind too, which is, I don't think we realize it until we actually leave it. And then it's, you're kind of left with that hole. So um a lot to to tackle when you are retired. I don't think that there's also enough like preparation or transition before you do, right? Right. I want to backtrack slightly to what you said about food rules, because I think that that's something like, I bet I have some lasting food rules from when I was dancing so much that I either should let go of, or we're probably wrong to begin with. So will you share like common food rules that you hear about ones that are not helpful (laughs) things that we should do instead? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, um, one of the major ones is, you know, that carbs are bad. That's a, that's a big one. I think that people fall into, um, like carbs are the enemy and I think like, everybody does. So, I mean, I think they also, it's a connection to, if we aren't dancing, then we don't, we haven't earned the right to our calories too. Um, we haven't really expended that energy, even in regular exercise. And you get into that trap of, well, I have an exercise today, so I won't, won't be eating that when when really like we need that fuel like our body needs it to function like our organs need it to function um so it's not a question of just the activity piece but us just functioning on our own yeah um, oh I definitely use carbs as my like I was saying it was like you use that to fuel but then if I wasn't an intense training day or now I'm like retired like oh well I shouldn't eat that now or I shouldn't worry or I, you know there's other things or it's even to the point, not only should I not, but it would be harmful if I do, which I can see that trap happening. Yeah. And I think when we label those foods as bad too, we create more of a complex around them because then we restrict ourselves and then we end up wanting them more. And then it's kind of a vicious cycle. That's like kind of the diet cycle a little bit. Um, We just crave them more and then we're going to binge on them. And then it's just, it's back and forth, right? Absolutely. Well, I try to, I think that's one shift I've made about trying not to label good and bad. And I I guess I see that as a parent too now of like not labeling it with my kids and maybe us as dance educators, not labeling it with our dancers of like certain things that are good for you and bad for you. It's so we talk more about that labeling and like where you see that come in. Yeah. Um, so I think kind of, um, the labeling of, of good and bad, especially with carbs. Um, and I think even like 
actually, it's funny. I worked with kids as well um, for a bit part-time um, at a kid fit clinic that was about like a health at every size approach. So we tried to encourage this as well to try to get away from the good and bad. But I think, um, you know, labeling it as such, even carbs, but also, you know, like treat like foods that people like, you know, desserts, things like that, um, that can definitely be part of a healthy diet doesn't have to be something that's restricted. I mean, we, we choose those things based on so many other factors that are happening, right? Like, you know, there's events, there's um, social times, um, we have different cravings at different times. And sometimes it leads us to choosing those foods. And that's okay. And we blame so much of ourselves for that when we put a label on it, and we don't stick to that label. When we fall into, you know, not abiding by it, then we blame ourselves and we blame our blame our lack of self discipline. We really don't need to, and we can give ourselves a little bit of self-compassion in that. Absolutely. That's so true. And I think so many dancers are perfectionists in so many ways that, like I said, that self-criticism and that, you know, punishing ourselves because we lack the discipline, whether that was the discipline in training or in class or it with our food, like I could see that being really strong in dance culture. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the perfectionist mentality is something is definitely ingrained within us. And I think it shows up like everywhere. I was reflecting on that the other day. Like, I think it's something still that I work with constantly. So I think it, yeah, I have to kind of reframe those thoughts and more positive self-talk for sure. Yeah. Okay. So taking that step a little bit, I always try to bring my psychology perspective into all these conversations. So will you talk a little bit more about that self-talk or the mindset? Like, do you think mindset plays an important part in the work you do with dancers and how so? Yeah, I think so for sure. I think, you know, when we are referring to that perfectionist piece of it, I think trying to reframe that mindset of we're not looking for perfection, not in nutrition, definitely, right? We're looking for progress. And I think working Mm -hmm. towards that element of progress versus perfection, I think in the world of dance could help a lot as well to kind of change that culture. Um, and I think, um, that's like made the major mindset mindset shift that I talk with them about is we're just looking for small actionable steps that we can take. We're not looking for, you know, the big thing at the end, um, perfection, right? That's not what we're looking for. And that's so true about all goal setting in general, or just like, it's not just about winning the competition at the end of the season or achieving whatever skill it is, but the small amounts of progress along the way. And, I mean, I guess I don't always think about nutrition in that way. And that's, it makes sense. It would be very similar to have like baby steps and it's okay that there's a day that was not perfect. And it's like, it doesn't derail everything you've done leading up to that. Yeah. Which I think is, it's a major shift for anybody who starts with a, a dietitian um, to work on nutrition habits. I think immediately they think that they need to do a major, a major change or, you know, get rid of everything that they're eating, which is definitely not the case. And I think not the way a lot of dietitians approach it. So I, I think those small sustainable steps are kind of where it's at. Mm-hmm. That's that's the right mindset for most things. Small steps, small progress, reward yourself for the progress and like praise yourself for the small, the small parts along the way. Exactly. Okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit to help our dance educators listening. Like if they are scared to talk about nutrition with their dancers, or they don't even know how to bring it up or what to talk about. Have some advice for them. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, you know, I think openly talking about it in terms of like, you know, would you be interested in it? What are you guys interested in? Um, that's what I kind of did with the a studio. I openly asked the questions in a survey and the, I was shocked as to how many people were interested and wanted to learn more about specific subjects. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think like leave it very open-ended for them um, in terms of like, I think we talked about that education piece, um, offering it up as an option, right? As like, this is something you can learn more about. Is this something you guys would be interested in? Um, And introducing that education earlier on enough, I think with like the nutrition and mental health component, I mean, I didn't have any access to that when I was a young dancer. And I think having that available, um, and I know a lot of professional dancers talk to me about that just wasn't available to me. So I didn't seek it out. So having yeah. it more available and, and an, an option and tailoring it to their needs, I think would be important. Not just, you know, we have this person coming in, you know, to talk about eating disorders. I know I'm seeing a lot of red flags. I mean, that's going to put everyone's back. Scary. Up, right? Oh, yeah, that's scary. You could see them shut down real fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think kind of making it seem like you're, you're tailoring it to their, their needs and their interests. Um, and leaving it very open-ended for them to tell you what they're interested in. And I think, you know, also if you are seeing issues where there's maybe a lot of weight loss or you're concerned about disordered eating, um, you know, try to speak to that person individually in a very supportive manner versus, again, like introducing it to the whole group as is something, you know, some red flags that are being seen. I think it's important to definitely address maybe some suspected disordered eating that's happening. Um, but also introduce nutrition, something that's very normalized that should be talked about with dancers and maybe tailoring it to what they want. Oh, I like that thought about making it a normal conversation because I, I I see the parallels with the psychology conversations that I have too, where people are, they're like afraid to bring it up or like, I don't want to talk about nutrition because I don't, I don't have any disordered eating patterns. Like I don't have a reason to talk about it. And I see that in psych. We're like, well, I don't have, you know, a mental illness. I don't need to talk about it. It's like, but that's not true in either case. Like, and I think with nutrition, if we could as educators, make sure dancers understand, like, just talk about nutrition as your average growing human who now needs to tailor nutrition to the amount of exercise you're doing, the amount of lengthy hours and like whatever it is in your situation and just like normalize that conversation for them. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, even I offer up sometimes like a very casual Q&A. It doesn't have to be something that you know, sometimes if people feel like somebody's coming in to talk to them about something. I, I mean, maybe leave it really open-ended. Like what are all your questions? And then you can have a half hour, 45 minute session about your questions specifically so that, you know, it's not something that is going to be kind of forced on you. It's like making it more normalized and introducing that subject matter like you said, even just fueling pre, during, and post dance. I mean, it's funny. A lot of dancers don't know that. And it's, it's kind of fun to chat with them about that and kind of get the basics down that. Yeah. Oh, I think that's would definitely be a needed conversation for many dancers. I remember with my high school dancers, I used to just have to set the rule around not getting a giant sugar Starbucks in the morning on the way to competition. <laughs> I was like, that's not going to be the best thing to help you. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I, had, I finally had to, I had to make a no Starbucks rule that morning or, or like just, you know, it's like, you're not there for the coffee and the caffeine. You're there for this like gigantic dose of sugar. That's not the most helpful thing. Yeah. Um, we just don't know. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So along those lines where I know I saw dancers who were making poor choices before, during, after competitions or long training days, do you have advice that you can share about the pre or post side of this for nutrition and dancers? Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. You know, I think that for pre, a lot of dancers are shocked as to how many, like you actually need carbs to use for energy during dance. And that's something that we often forget, but I think for sure the post side of it, is really key to dive into. So a lot of dancers um, don't refuel after they've had, you know, a two plus hour dance session, 
And there's so much to refueling, right? There's the nutrition side of it, which we want to make sure like, you know, even 45 to 60 grams of carbs is recommended, which is quite a lot. And a lot of dancers don't meet that to help build up our energy stores again so that we can train a couple hours later. And, you know, a little bit of protein to help uh, rebuild our muscle, like 15 to 20. And then, you know, with the, the inclusion of antioxidants and omega-3 to help our muscle soreness and swelling. So it's like just those four aspects on their own for the post um, dance piece is like, there's quite a bit to it. Right. And, and don't think a lot of dancers meet that. Um, but I, I do actually have a recovery guide for dancers, which I think it doesn't just focus on the nutrition aspect, but also, you know, the importance of sleep and rest days and self-care, which I'm sure you talk to dancers a lot about that self-care piece. Um, so there's so many aspects to the recovery part that I think we need to dive into and ask ourselves, are we, are we being kind enough to our bodies to reset and to like train again a couple hours later and day to day? So I think that recovery piece is definitely important that we, we dive into. I think you're right. And I always think about the mental recovery, but often the nutrition after was either whatever's in the fridge or I like for me personally in the dance world, I would train really late at night right? and then come home. It's like, I never really had a dinner, but now it's like nine or 10 at night. And I'm just going to like finish my homework and eat what I can snack on. And it was not intentional about what my body needs after that much training. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like, they have that saying of the ga- the car needs gas, right? We need that fuel, like just like our bodies need that right. that fuel to kind of keep going when we're out of gas. That's where we can't go to our next bout of training or performance. So absolutely. All right. So you mentioned that you have a recovery guide. Is that something we can link up and share with people listening? Yeah, hundred percent. So it is available on my website. Uh, if you want to turn your email and name, um, it will be sent to you. So I have the link as well on my Instagram profile uh, to my website to download it. Perfect. Okay. So I will link up everything in the show notes, but along those lines, will you just share how people can find you if they're interested in having you talk to their dancers or learning more about what you do? How do people get in touch? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm on Instagram at center stage nutrition. I do have a website as well. Um, so you can DM me through Instagram or you can always, um, book, um, a discovery call with me to talk about my services. And so the links are all available on my website. Um, and yeah, just any way you can email me, DM me, or find me on my website. Awesome. Thank you. I know this is one of those things I wish I knew so much more about as a young dancer. And it's something I appreciate how much you're trying your work now to be able to share with our younger dancers and not just drink the giant Starbucks before or not refuel when you get home or all those choices we make as kids. But then even now as a retired dancer, like you said, thinking about those uh, food rules that might still be in your head from when you were dancing that are not necessarily serving you now. So, so much great advice in here. Thank you so much for your time, Jenny. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea.